Did you catch those opening lines in there? People want to fit in. People don't want to be noticed. Oh, all of us want a moment of fame, I would argue. But, but, but none of us really want to be excluded from the crowd. None of us want to really stand out. None of us want to be thought of as weird, odd, strange. And even the select few of us who kind of get off on that identity, so often haven't we even embraced that as a defense mechanism simply because we're tired of the ridicule from others who don't see us as fitting in with someone like them. But make no mistake, if you are born from above in Jesus and filled with the Spirit of God, you are different. And there is just no getting around it. It is an inevitability. You don't have to try to be different. If you're in Christ, you just are. It's not something I have to give an encouragement to even say, be different. Because what God is doing in you is automatically making you different by his very spirit at work in you. And the Bible will use all kinds of words to describe what it means or what it looks like, labels if you will, to how different people in Jesus just actually are. It'll use words like this, things like chosen, remnant, holy, elect, sanctified, talking about people not being of the flesh, but being of the spirit. People not being dead to sin, but alive to righteousness. It will talk about people with terms as though they're children of God, not of the world, born again, or born from above, if you will. Whatever kind of language you use on this, if you are here in Christ today, you are different. And if you're here today seeking Christ in some kind of way, I need to tell you this right off the bat. Let him into your life and it will make you different. Like it or not. That's hard. Because words like different, strange, weird, these are not words that we go seeking after, are they? And even if the culture celebrates uniqueness and being different, have you noticed it only really celebrates a unique differentness if it is the unique differentness that the culture approves of? To be truly unique and different can be a very hard thing to do. And yet, here we are in the midst of it. I love how Jesus puts this. Let me share with you what nine o'clock group that we had this morning helped me learn today. Jesus says this, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Now, did you hear something in that little sentence packet from Jesus this morning? There's two different ways in this world, a way of destruction and a way of life. How many people 
are on the way of destruction versus the way of life. Or put another way, if you're born again in the spirit of God and in Christ, are you in the majority according to Jesus or the minority? What would Jesus say? The minority. Small is the gate, narrow is the road, and only a few find it, he says. Make no mistake, being in Jesus will set you apart from the norm, whether you like it or not. And here in my time at Fellowship of Faith, especially these past several months, I've been struck by how many people are asking questions about this, wrestling with this, struggling with this. Some are simply curious. They want to know what is different about the Christian way of life and what is different about life in Christ as opposed to apart from him. Maybe you're here today. And you're asking questions like that. I've been talking with other people who are struggling because they see how they don't quite fit in. Maybe from their friends or their family or life as they know it out there. And they don't know what to do about it because they don't want to be someone who's abrasive or weird or off-putting. But at the same time, they find their desires not always aligning with the desires of the people they're closest with. Their values not always aligning with the values of the people they're closest with. Their hopes and their aspirations not always lining up identically. And they're trying to figure it out because it's messy. Following Jesus is messy. And it's okay to say it. It's messy and it's hard which is why we believe church should be about people helping each other figure out that journey. Others, they're coming to me and they're just telling me that straight up, I'm just trying to lay low. You know, because I see that if I, if I go this, 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 this route, it's going to cost me. And I don't know if I like that. And yet at the same time, I don't want to violate what God is doing in me or in some way violate him. And maybe you're here struggling in the midst of that. And I've been having conversations who are just drinking it up. They are, for whatever reason, being so moved and so filled by God that they are hungry for the way of Jesus. They are reaching out, striving to learn what it means to be different, and maybe that's you here today. Whichever place you're coming from in that arena, my hope is that these next several weeks and, and truly months, will be a way of helping you figure out what it means to embrace the different way of Jesus and the different kind of person he is crafting you to be. Now, right off the bat, I, I need to clarify something. These are not going to be a series of do better talks. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you're doing okay, but do better, right? You're kind of righteous, but be more righteous. You're sort of holy, but you could be more holy. Get your act together. You know why? Because do better talks have never changed a human heart. Jesus changes human hearts. And the thing that makes you different is not striving to be better. It's God alive in you, 
bearing that fruit, if you will, coming out your pores, whether you like it or not. Christians, I got something to tell you today. Jesus is coming out your pores, whether you like it or not. You can wear as much deodorant as you want. It is not going to hide the Jesus stink that is coming off of you if you are in him and he is in you. So I want to help you learn what it means to embrace the stink, revel in the stink, own the stink, be proud of the stink, and let everyone else bask in the aroma of what Christ is doing in your life. And for those of you who don't stink too bad yet, our prayer is that through this series, God will help you stink more. That he will set you apart as something different. Weird. Strange. Because I'll tell you this, words like different, weird, and strange are not good words, are they? Unless what makes you different, weird, and strange is true and good. And if that's the case, being different, weird, and strange, it is the best thing you can grab hold of. Central to all of what it means to be different is the fundamental idea that it is not something you achieve. It is growing in to who Jesus says you already are. Because if you are in Christ, you are holy. If you are in Christ, you are sanctified. If you are in Christ, you are chosen, you are elect, you are the remnant, you are true Israel, you are born again, you are born from above, you are of the spirit, you are not of the flesh, you are a child of God, not a child of the world, you just are. So what does it mean to grow into your identity? What does it mean to grow into the skin, into the heart that God already has embedded within you? Let me show you one example of this. I absolutely love this passage. And let me set it up before I flash it on the screen. Okay, straw poll time. Who here thinks grace is a good thing? Like, like yeah, I like grace. I want grace. Would you raise your hand? Who here would take it a step further going, I don't want just general grace. I want God's grace in my life and his gracious favor towards me. Can, can you own that here maybe today if that sounds like a good thing to you? Now, who here additionally would argue that the more grace you can get, the better? Like, like, flood me with grace, right? We were listening to the song by Jars of Clay earlier today, Flood. I haven't heard it since 1992, I swear, you know? But I love the meaning of this song, that God wants to flood you with grace. And there is no limit to God's grace. There is no cap to his grace. There is nothing that you can do that can overcome God's grace. In fact, God's grace is the cosmic trump card in any life. In fact, the more you sin, the more God's grace will be manifest. In fact, you could even argue that the more you sin, the more grace you will get and the more gracious it shows God to be. Well, that sounds like a pretty good deal, doesn't it? Who wants more grace? Sin more and let it pour on could be the argument. But look, the Apostle Paul writes about this in Romans chapter 5. And he anticipates the move that's to come next because, wow, if we want more of God in our life, if we want more grace in our life, if we want more of his favor in our life, and we want to show him in all his graciousness even more clearly and strongly, well, let's sin all the more. Paul writes it this way. He says this, what shall we say then? 
Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Are you following the logic? I love how he answers. By no means. No way. Are you kidding me? I don't know how to do this one in Greek. But you're getting the spirit of it here. What, what, what you can't do is this. By no means. All right? That, that doesn't work. That's not the thrust of this passage. You got to shout this out. All right? Give me a by no means. Like just for your gut. Yeah, okay, that's getting close. Why? Look at what he says. Because we died to sin. And do you know what dead people don't do? Sin. Have you ever seen a preacher go to a cemetery and exhort them to be better? <laughs> Have you ever seen that mom or that grandma figure going up, going, now, tisk tisk, you... Dead people don't sin. And if you are in Christ, you are dead to sin. You are different. So how can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that if you have been baptized into Christ, if you have been immersed into Christ, if you are in Christ Jesus you were also immersed into his death. He died, so you died too. He died, and so his death counts for you. In his death, he gives his very essence and power to you. You are in him, and because Jesus is different, you are different too. Are you with me? But look at how he chases this just a few verses later. He says in the same way, Count yourself dead to sin. Why do I need to count myself dead to sin if I'm already dead to sin? I'm already dead to sin. Why do I got to count anything? Why do I have to think of myself that way if it's already my reality? Because the struggle of every Christian and every person in Jesus is learning to live the new identity that Christ has given them. Make no mistake, you have been given a new identity in Christ. You are different in Christ. But the real trick is learning how to be who you actually are. And so in this case, Paul says, so don't let sin reign in your mortal body because that just doesn't jive with who you are. That is not your identity. It's not who you are anymore. You know, some of you are here today and you're coming in with some deep-seated sin and you know it. We can talk about sin up here at a flippant kind of level, but some of you are here today and you know the gravity and depth of what that word means. You're broken over it. You're hurt by it. You're ashamed and your life is marred by regret. There are things that you would go back in time and redo in a heartbeat. And even in the moment, maybe even knew what you were doing, but felt yourself sucked into something or given over to something or inevitably kind of wrapped up in something. And some of you here have made terrible choices and have wreaked terrible hurt on people's life and it continues to haunt you to this day. You look at yourself and you go, what I am is a sinner. And you know what Jesus says to you if you are in me? You have a new identity. That is who you were. That is not who you are. You are now dead to sin that holds you. And there's no going back and changing it. There just isn't. And there's no point denying it, excusing it, or rationalizing it. 
But what it means is that in Christ, you can look at it and own in the face and go, yeah, I am that and much worse, but Jesus died for me. And that means today I am someone different. Today I am someone new. Are you with me? Now for centuries, even millennia, as followers of God and people in Christ have sought to live into this different identity. They've used a tool that I'd like to share with you today that's going to be guiding our discussion into the different kind of life Jesus has called us into and is conforming us to. It's a tool that we're going to be using the next several days. And I think you've probably heard of it. It's called the Ten Commandments. Let me tell you a little bit about the Ten Commandments. God had called many of his people out of slavery in Egypt. You got to go back, guys, to like 1400 BC if you're timeline folk here, all right? God had called people, his people, who he knew and loved and called out of a place of slavery and suffering from an oppressor, the superpower of a day called Egypt. But in the process, there were many other people who were not of the people of Abraham, not what you would call the people of Israel, who saw this God, Yahweh, that had this special relationship with his people and saw the power that he was working, and they wanted in too. Because God is not just for an exclusivity club. God is for anyone who will call on his name. And it says that God brought his people out, but many other people who were not of Israel went with them too, and he brings them to a mountain in the middle of the desert, and it's called Sinai. It's also called Horeb. You'll find both in the Bible. And there in Exodus chapter 19, you get this incredible picture of God in all his glory, in all his power, in all his might, with all the fire and lightning and smoke and thunder and earthquakes coming down on the mountain. And the people are there before the holy God, this amazing God, this God who's set apart, this God who is different. <laughs> and they're terrified. So they do what any of us would they do, say, hey, hey, Moses, you go first, you know? You go up there and talk to God, we're going to stay down here. And Moses goes up on the mountain, and he meets with God and sees God face to face. And it's there that God starts to instruct Moses on his way, a different way of life. He's going to call his people to, to learn and live their new identity in him. The Bible itself says that when the Ten Commandments were first written, that they were written by the very finger of God himself. Wouldn't you have loved to see that? Jewish tradition will say that when God wrote the Ten Commandments, that he cut all the way through the stones so that it was like you could read it from both sides, and that miraculously, no matter what side of the tablet you were on, you could read it the right way on both sides. Now, that's tradition, but it's really kind of cool, isn't it? It's funny because later in the story, Moses goes down with the Ten Commandments and the covenant law, and he sees that the Israelites have already gone haywire, and he gets so mad and he smashes the Ten Commandments down, and then they all have kind of a moment, and then God says, okay, let's kind of restart, let's reset, come up back on the mountain, because that's what God does. Restarts and resets. But this time he makes Moses write the Ten Commandments. 
I love that. Now you get out the chisel this time. My finger still hurts, right? I love it. And they've served as a guide. Not only for the people of Israel, but for Christians for the past 2,000 years. As the different kind of life Jesus is conforming us to. But I find there's a lot of misconceptions. A lot of confusion or, or false assumptions people have about the Ten Commandments. And I just want to kind of unearth some of those with you here today. First of all is this. If you can envision, because you've seen the movies or you've seen the artwork or you've seen, you know, representations of this, haven't you, right? When you see like the two like round kind of things of stone next to each other, how are they written or better put, how are they divided? Shout it out if you want to take a guess. Three and seven. Three and seven. There'll be three written on this side, things like, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Things that revolve around God. And over on this side, you would have things like, honor your mom and dad, and don't commit adultery, and don't steal, and don't murder. By the way, in the fifth edition of the King James Bible, they call it the sinful copy because the editor accidentally left the word not out when it said, do not commit adultery. And so the Bible was actually printed and distributed saying, commit adultery. All right. Some of you like that commandment. We do three and seven. Or if you come from more of a Jewish or a Reformed tradition, you would call it four and six. Because there isn't uniformity on how the commandments are supposed to be numbered. Did you know that? In fact, there's not even ten commandments. There's like 15. Count them up. Don't take my word for it. Count up how many thou shalt and thou shalt nots. And you do not have 10. But the Bible calls it 10, so how are we supposed to understand it at 10? That's interesting. And some aren't even commandments at all. Do you know much more likely is that when the 10 commandments were written, the second copy was a duplicate of the first? Because it's a covenant. It's a contract. God entered into an agreement with his people. And so 10 would be written on this tablet and a duplicate copy would be written for you just like you keep a copy of your mortgage or your legal papers or whatever other proof you want to take home. It's fascinating. They're called the Ten Commandments. But do you know that's not what they've been called historically? Because the people of God never viewed them as commandments, even though there's commands embedded in them. Do you know what they would call them? Things like this. In the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, the ten ideas, the ten sayings, the ten verba. That great Bible translator, English Bible translator at the time of Reformation, William Tyndale, he didn't call them the Ten Commandments. He called them the 10 verses. See, we are so fixated in our minds that a relationship with God is based on how well we can live our lives, how well we can impress them, and how far we've strayed. And if that is still your running home to mama base camp for what a relationship with God is all about, you're just missing it. But then we import it and make things like the 10 commandments into something that they're really not. No, don't think of them as Ten Commandments. Think of them like this. A root directory. Or a table of contents. 
Let me flash something on the screen here for you today. Um, we lost a slide. There we go. Thank you. Now, I know that's small, but I wanted to get the entire table of content sheet in one slide for you. This is a Jordan Peterson book, 12 Rules for Living is what it's called. Now, you could see that each chapter is a rule, rule one, rule two, rule three, rule four, up to he has 12. God has 10, Jordan Peterson has 12. Go figure, I don't know. Look what some of them are. Stand up straight with your shoulder back. Shoulders back, don't just do one, that would be weird. <laughs> Treat yourself like someone you are responsible for helping. Make friends with people who want the best for you. Compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not to someone else today. And if you can squeeze them out, do not let your children do anything that makes you dislike them. You get down to, like, the end. You get things like, do not bother children when they are skateboarding. That was an interesting one. Pet a cat when you encounter one on the street. Now, would you agree with me that in true literal definition, what we are reading in this is commands? He's telling you to do something. But would it also be horribly short-sighted to think that what the entire book is about is just those 12 commands? I mean, otherwise it's one page, you have it. And the guy wrote like 250 more pages filling it out. Can you see how each command isn't really so much about the command, but it's an idea? It's a topic? It's a placeholder? It's a field of vision. And the command itself isn't even, now you better do this, you better not do that, or if you get this one right, nothing else matters. No, do you see how that completely misses the point? And yet this is exactly what I find people do with the Ten Commandments. What I want you to write with the finger of God in your mind is that the Ten Commandments are not so much Ten Commandments, but a table of contents given by God for ten concepts or ideas for what the different kind of life is like. The rabbis would say, that the 613 commands given by God in the Old Testament Torah can be summarized in the Ten Commandments. And that the Ten Commandments, or should I say the Ten Ideas, the Ten Verses, the Ten Verba, the Ten Sayings, could be summarized in the first three, and the first three could be summarized into the first one, and the first one could be summarized into its first word, and the first word could actually be summarized into its very first letter, because that's how rabbis roll. Think about them this way. Not so much 10 rules to live by, but 10 ideas that God wants you to immerse yourself in that have all kinds of implications when they are played out. Now, don't hear me wrong in any of this. None of this is a way to get close to God, to earn God's favor, to step up towards him, or to get your life in conformity so that God's grace and transformation will be a part of you? No. This, this is an invitation to live out who God has already made you to be. Are you with me? 
And if you look carefully, it's embedded in the Ten Commandments itself. So, quiz time. Let's see how well you do. Do you think you remember any of them? No. <laughs> That's okay. Stick with us for a few weeks. You will. Does anyone here think they know what the first commandment is? Well, we got some division over here. I've got someone say, you shall have no other gods before me. What do you think? Does it sound like number one? Yeah, no one's going to commit, right? Because you're setting me up here, dude. Every time you see it listed, it'll be listed as the first commandment. Every time people recite them, it'll be taught as the first commandment. It's not. You'll find the Ten Commandments in two places. Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. Don't take my word for it. Look it up for yourself and see what comes first. Here's the first thing that God says. I am Yahweh your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, which is then followed by you shall have no other gods before me. Do you know in Jewish tradition this is often called the first commandment? Because it's not a commandment. It's a saying. It's an idea. It's a premise. It's a verse. It's because everything is initiated with God. It doesn't start with what you do, who you need to be, who you need to become. No, it all starts with God. God brought you out of slavery. God redeemed you. God gave you a new identity. God gave you new life. I am Yahweh, your God, he says. I'm the one who brought you out, out of slavery. So here is what it means to live in this new way of life. Because make no mistake, the Ten Commandments are not another form of slavery, a burden, if you will, that God is asking you to bear. It is an invitation and a description about a new kind of identity and value set for life that people of God inevitably, inevitably start to have. So I want to introduce you to a brother here this morning who's going to come on stage. His name is Bill, and Bill is this amazing living testimony of someone who God got a hold of and his life is different as a result. I'd like him to be able to share his story for just a bit with you. I think you'll really benefit from it. Bill, why don't you come on up and why don't we give Bill a hand here, all right? All right, here you go, brother. Thanks for doing this, man. Good stuff. All right, so... Bill, how long have you been coming here to Fellowship of Faith? Uh, about uh, four or five years, maybe. I think it's more closer to four, yeah. Okay, so right mm -hmm. before COVID, you started to flirt, and then, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Cool, cool. And I know, like, in the past year, it's just, like, things have been snowballing for you in, oh, in like, yeah. the right kind of way. Especially, yeah. Since I found, uh, actually, a friend of mine, Steve, who I worked with, introduced me to Fellowship of Faith, and uh, I've found my home. You know? Yeah, that's yeah. cool. And it's been, it's been awesome getting to know you. Thanks for doing this, truly. Of course, I mean, it yeah. takes guts to come up here, and uh, um, especially with this question that I'm going to ask, but, you know, take maybe a minute or two, and if you could just share with the people today your former life. So, <clears throat> I grew up in Chicago, um, found Christ when I was 13. Uh, my family, I went to Catholic school on Sundays, 
and didn't learn anything about Christ. I found Christ at a church, oddly enough, in Dave's old neighborhood in Chicago, and uh, I was about 13 years old. Told my parents about it, and uh, I was blasphemed because I believed in Christ. It was interesting. But uh, so that kind of brought me away from that church. I wasn't allowed to go back. So I found friends in the neighborhood and was a wannabe gangbanger, got into a lot of fights, hurt a lot of people, uh, physically, mentally, uh, nothing that I'm very proud of at all. But um, then after that, uh, my family moved me out into another city with a family, into a family of alcoholics, and uh, I've been on my own since 18 years old. I was in YMCA's, back seats of friends' cars, sleeping on couches. That went on for about four or five years. Um, but all the while, God was with me. I prayed a lot, tried to find my way, you know, with God by my side. I never blamed God for anything, but if it wasn't for God and Christ, I could be dead. I could be a drug addict. I could be an alcoholic. I could be in jail easily because I hung around with all those people for all those years. I sat in front of drug dealers cutting up cocaine. I slept with many women. Uh, none of these things I'm proud of, but God was always there, always walking by me. And I can describe it like the poem, uh, Walking in the Sand, I don't know, I, remember, I forget the name of it, but the, the gist is, you know, there was only one set of footprints. Well, that's because Jesus was carrying that person and Christ was always there with me, always. It was amazing, you know, because I would pray looking for that home. So we'll fast forward to my current life. Um, I have a beautiful wife, I had a great job. I just ended my career as a firefighter, paramedic, uh, something I'm very proud of. And uh, I owe that to Fellowship of Faith. This is my home. I've been looking for this for 30 plus years, so. Now, I mean, th thanks, yeah, yeah, thanks for sharing that. And I'll say this, and I even appreciate just the, the thanks that you're giving this congregation, but ultimately you know as well as I do that, that this church pales in comparison to the living Christ because it's not a church that's going to change your life. It's Christ. And if he worked through us, fantastic. But let's give the glory to him in that, and I know that you do. I want to ask you something specific, though, in the journey because, you know, you said you found Christ, you came to Christ, or, or Christ took a hold of your life in a in a born-again kind of way, for lack of a better term, you were 13. But life didn't change right away. In fact, it got worse. Meaning, worse not just in the quality of life that you were living in, but in the way that God would want you to live. You shared the, the four or five year journey with the congregation. You shared much more of what that looked like with me. People that you've hurt and used along the way. When did God get a hold of you again? Or what was the pivot point that turned it from the five-year homeless expedition? You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I have always struggled with finding, uh, I've always felt the need to be a part of something like Fellowship of Faith, to to give back, and I can't really put a finger on it. It just, I just kind of evolved into, into this, you know, and 
I, I attribute it to fellowship of faith, but you're right, because God puts people in front of us that kind of guide us, you know? So it's hard to explain, but yeah, yeah. I think that the, the journey really started with uh, my friend Steve, who introduced me to fellowship of faith, and um, it just started snowballing from there. I just feel good. It feels right, you know? I don't so know you met God long ago. Right. Despite the path of your life, Correct. God never abandoned you. Never. That much is clear. Did not. not and a, yet, something <laughs> happened recently through, through your brother Steve here, through the work of this church, through, through the other ways that God is working in your life, where you've described to me how you are a very different person now. Yep. Talk to us about that. So what feel, yeah, yeah go, so I'm, I'm involved, getting more involved in the church. I became a member about over a year ago, I think a little over a year ago, and getting involved in the church, just it, my relationship with God was tumultuous. It's not, you know, now I'm having a relationship with God opposed to, give me God, give me, help me, you know, help me, help me. Now I'm giving back, you know, and I don't want to be up here, but I'm being called to do this. You know, I told Dave that this is not easy for me. There's very few people in my life that know just a fraction of what I told you here today. So it's, I don't know how else to explain it. Is that what you're looking for? Well, I'm just looking for your story, <laughs> man. You know, <laughs> I wish I could put my finger on the day that, you know, I do remember the day that I was born again, and I do remember through my life up to my point of joining fellowship of faith that God was always tugging at me always tugging hey you're supposed to be on the narrow road that we talked about today you're not on that wide road you're on the narrow you're chosen to be here and I don't understand why because I've done some hideous things in my life that nobody knows about and I don't understand how God really wants me you know but he does so here I am and I hope that if there's anybody here that is not sure about Christ, it's real. God, God is in me, and I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for him, so. I, mean, I love this, and I think I love, in, in the honesty of your story, even struggling to articulate it, because it is hard to articulate at times. I think many of us have experienced this, but, but I want to chase it with one final question here today, um, and it's going to seem no-brainer to you, but I want to do this as a way of pointing something out that at least I'm picking up on. You seem like you're doing this because you want it. And I don't mean standing here in the stool right now because no one in the universe wants this, right? Yeah, no. <laughs> but I mean this God kind of life. More than anything. I, I want this more than anything. It's a struggle because I was set in my ways of being that old person, so I'm learning how to be a better Christian. But I want this tremendously. I really... And I think that what that reveals, Bill, that I'm trying to bring out, something changed. Bill did not set out on a 10-step plan to be a better person. God got a hold of him and did a work through you, through your life. And it changed something about you, about what you want, what you desire, what you think, what you feel, what you think is worth running after. Otherwise, you wouldn't be doing it. Right. If you didn't want it, it wouldn't, you wouldn't be here today. Yeah, you're right. You know, and, and it's funny because there's one thing I want to say that I really wanted to say is despite me, despite my choices, oh, yeah. you yeah. know, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, you know, so. Bill, thanks for coming on stage today, no man. No problem. Appreciate it. Way to go.
For some people, it happens. Expect that in you too. I think of the kid who tells his mom and dad, you're not my mom and dad anymore. And you know what mom and dad say? Yeah, you are. Get over it. <laughs> if you are in Christ, there is something different at work in you. And God will change your thinking, your feeling, your aspirations, your will, your very self to be someone who wants it. In these next several weeks, we hope to walk, walk alongside of you and help you grow into that identity and skin.